Welcome to the Life Care Services HSD podcast series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Regulatory Strategy. Today, we are joined by Sandy Toole, Senior Nurse Consultant for Life Care Services. Sandy, welcome. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in the presentation today on quality assurance and performance improvement. Wonderful, Sandy. You know, before we jump into that, can you just give our listeners a brief um, little bit of background on you? Oh, of course. Um, I've been in the industry for about 40 years, uh, started many, many years ago as a nursing assistant, and uh, then just gradually worked my way uh, through through the long-term care industry and many, wore many, many hats, including uh, director of nursing. Um, I've been a corporate uh, compliance director, uh, the uh, clinical director for a chain of nursing homes. Uh, and then in addition to that, for many years, I ran my own business doing uh, regulatory and uh, compliance uh, consulting. Uh, and I've been with LCS for the past six years in the capacity of nurse consultant. Wonderful. Well, I think uh, I think with that background, you can actually truly walk the talk. So let's let's go ahead then and walk the talk as we're talking about Quapi. So so Quapi Quapi um, is not new to to any of us, or it shouldn't be. Um, and what is new right now are the requirements of participation phase three that go into effect at the end of November of this year. And Quapi is a big part of the phase three. So, so could you talk to us a little bit about the challenges and what those additions are to the Quapi program with the phase three requirements of participation? Sure, let's break this down a little bit and examine what is new in phase three. So phase three involves a systems approach to quality with five additional components. One of those components is that they now require you to have policies and procedures for feedback, data collection, and monitoring. And this also includes monitoring for medical errors and adverse events. According to CMS, an adverse event is an untoward, undesirable, and usually unanticipated event that causes death or serious injury or the risk thereof, which includes near misses. Well, CMS then goes further to, to define that a near miss is potential harm that did not reach the resident. Well, Laura, I think you can see that that definition covers a lot of territory and really could be something as simple as medications that did not arrive from the pharmacy in a timely manner. Yeah, that's really a mouthful of definition. You know, I you know, in practicality, you almost have to break it down step by step, don't you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2014, the Office of the Ex Inspector General con conducted some research which determined that one in three Medicare beneficiaries were harmed by an adverse event within their first 35 days in a skilled nursing facility. 
So, so hence um, the focus of the regulation on adverse events, right? Yes, absolutely. Those are just terrible statistics. Uh, one in three. I just think yeah. that that is uh, that's just really crazy that that many people uh, were harmed in a nursing facility. And I'd like to hope that we have improved considerably in the past uh, five years. Yeah, those those are pretty alarming, Sandy. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, following that research, uh, CMS then did develop a list of common potentially preventable events that occur in nursing homes. And they classified those events into three categories, medications, care, and infections. Um, an example of an event related to a medication might be uh, something like changes in mental status related to the use of opiates or psychotropic medications. Uh, moving into care, an example of uh, a preventable event uh, related to care might be falls, um, abrasions, skin tears, or, or other uh, trauma, uh, elopements. Um, and then an event that might be related to infections could be urinary tract infections or uh, C. diff. Those are really good examples too, Sandy. Thank you. Instead of just putting the, the categories together, you know, giving our listeners some real examples of what goes in each one of those categories as an example. Yeah, yeah. Sandy, what's another new component of the QAPI program? So, so now you need to make sure that you have priorities set for performance improvement activities that do focus on high-risk areas such as health outcomes, resident safety, resident choice, and quality of care. Um, another new component is that you now must conduct those distinct performance improvement projects or PIPs as we have been saying for years, um, the number and frequency of those projects must include at least a project that focuses on those high risk problem prone areas that you identified during your data collection. So Sandy, those are identified by the provider themselves, correct? So, so the health center staff would identify those high risk areas. Yes, absolutely. The the health center staff, but also you can utilize um, other means to collect your, you know, to collect your data and to discover those high risk areas. Things like consultant reports, um, resident and family satisfaction surveys, uh, the use of your team TSI reports, um, your uh, Casper quality measure reports. Um, all those various things that we have at our fingertips can help you identify those high risk problem prone areas. Okay, so that shouldn't be a problem identifying those risk areas. And every one of those um, examples that you just gave are data driven, correct? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. And that, that's a key in QAPI, isn't it? Data driven? Yes, that's, that is the number one thing that you want to make sure that you've got uh, valid data that you are tracking um, and that you're able to uh, create your benchmarks based upon that data and you have goals and that you're constantly tracking for uh, improvement in resident care. Wonderful, wonderful, great, great. 
So another new addition to QAPI is, is the uh, addition of the infection preventionist. And I'm sure we're going <clears> to <throat> talk about that piece in a, in a future uh, podcast. But the creation of the infection preventionist is a required part of QAPI uh, moving forward. And, and Sandy, part of that um, infection preventionist in QAPI is that that person has to sit on the QAPI or the QAA committee. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then the the findings and the outcome of those um, again could be a major area of focus for um, a QAPI process in a health center. Yes, absolutely, Laura. You get it. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Great. So then the last component that has to be added to your QAPI program is uh, the committee must be involved in the review of any resident abuse, uh, neglect, uh, and exploitation um, concerns that have been brought forward uh, you know, during that time period. So any allegations of resident abuse must be uh, reviewed then by your QA committee. Yeah, and, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, because that's high risk. I mean, truly, truly. You know, I mean, when 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 you put it all together like this, um, phase three is a a lot more significant than folks might think it is in terms of the Quapi program. Do you feel that way? Yes, absolutely. I think we've all kind of thought that uh, phase three was just kind of tying up loose ends, um, but it really does make the program bigger. And uh, I think really forces the communities to use it more than just a checkbox type system. Um, I think in the past we've used QAPI, we've just kind of just gone down the line and, uh, you know, we look at the normal things like uh, falls and, and skin and infection rates and we just kind of check the box off. But I think this really um, makes the program um, bigger and really forces the communities to look at quality on a broader standpoint. Yeah, and it, and it forces us to look at outcomes also. Um, more and more with what we're seeing in, um, in, you know, focus on data, but then the outcomes of that data and then that whole process improvement. So truly, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, having said that, I, I sit back and like I said, you read it on paper and it doesn't really seem big. And it is big. But but the surveyors are going to have to get their arms around this now, too, because the surveyors are reviewing QAPI. And as I understand it, I think um, they're only going to investigate if there is a, a tag that is like an E or higher. Is that right? Yeah. All survey deficiencies cited at E or above, or if substandard care exists, will, review, will result in a review of the QAPI material to make sure that the committee also identified those issues and has a working performance improvement plan in place. So, so I, think, I think what you said there is key, one of the uh, quality of care citations, correct? I mean, those are going to be an automatic, right, if they're above an E. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's kind of um that that's a big trigger there, I would think. Um so so this is new for the surveyors to get their arms around this too, right? 
Yes, I, and, and you know, we've seen this happening already out in the field as um, as facilities are having their annual survey. Um, QAPI is being reviewed every time and uh, we just had a survey recently in a, in a community where uh, the QA um, FTAG was cited because the facility had not identified and tracked uh, that same uh, deficiency. So uh, I think facilities too are getting used to the fact that we now share that information uh, because uh, prior to this uh, phase three and phase two, um, QA material was held confidential. I remember. Yeah. And so now we're all kind of nervous about sharing this information and what that will mean to to us for further uh, deficiencies. Um, so time will tell. They The surveyors are not supposed to use the material against you. Um, so we'll see how all this plays out. Um, but I think the key is that that communities are now embracing uh, QAPI and really doing some great, great things out there. Um, you know, one thing I want to point out is that during our routine nurse consultant site visits, we utilize those critical element pathways that are that the surveyors also use. And this really helps us determine where further assistance uh, to the community might be needed. Um, and these are these are really great tools and I think should be used by the community as part of their quality assurance uh, process. So, you know what, Sandy, um, l- let's talk about critical element pathways for a minute, because I did a series of podcasts with Jennifer Lamb, um, one of our nurse consultants that focuses strictly on mock surveys. And Jennifer and I did a series on the, uh, on the, um, you know, the quality of care, quality of life, F tags, um, that those potential ones that could be very, very serious, um, so we talked a lot about the critical element pathways during that process. And those critical element pathways are from CMS, right? Yes, absolutely. And and do you think they're getting more traction? Because I think at first, I mean, it, it's a small group that really owned them um, through the nurse consultants. Do you think they're getting more traction and the communities are really using them? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I think that the consultants do a really good job encouraging that the use of, of, of those tools. And um, I'm sure those who listen to the podcast with you and Jennifer uh, probably realize the importance and value that they provide. But, you know, I've always been a component of saying that anything that we have at our fingertips, um, you know, the survey is not a surprise anymore. We yeah. have all those same tools and we really need to utilize uh, those to the best of our ability so there are no surprises when the surveyors do walk through the door. And, and I don't know about you, but I think they're very well done. They're clear, they're process oriented, systematic. So, so why wouldn't we use the tools at our fingertips, right? Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. 
Sandy, I'm sure since you are um, kind of boots on the ground in a lot of our communities and you have a team of our nurse consultants who report to you who are also boots on the ground, you know, supporting our communities, um, health centers and administrators and clinical staff, I'm sure you've you've got some examples of some really good um, QAA processes and QAPI processes. Are there some rock stars out there that you can, you know, not necessarily share their names on this in this setting, but at least share some of their examples and what they're doing as best practices. So hopefully our listeners can take some of that away and implement the same best practices if they're not already doing something similar. Yes, I'm really, really glad you asked that question, Laura. Um, I've had the opportunity to have a recent conversation with Ashley Guerin, the administrator at the Clare. Um, I've also actually had the opportunity to attend their uh, QAPI meeting, and they do an absolutely amazing job. Um, One of the questions I asked Ashley was, what do you consider to be the most successful part of your QA meeting? And, you know, she said without a question, all the team members come to the meeting fully prepared and they take an active role in the discussions. Um, I've observed this and she said they take the meeting very seriously. Uh, They all have projects they are working on with established benchmarks. And if they do not hit that goal or benchmarks, then the committee discuss how to rework the project to achieve the optimal results. You know, um, as you were talking, when you first talked about the Claire, you know, in their meeting with Ashley's response, two words stuck out to me all, and I want to underline and cap that, all team members, an active role. So so those are two really key points in the QAPI process. Is that correct? Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, you know, one of the one of the other things that I asked asked Ashley was, you know, what does she, what does she think is so unique maybe about uh, their QAPI and the overall involvement. And uh, she, she pointed out one really interesting thing, and this is social services. So, so when you say all involvement, uh, I think this was quite an interesting take, is that uh, their social service right now is tracking the PHQ-9 progress throughout the patient's stay to see if those depression scores go up or down, and then they adjust the life enrichment programming according, accordingly. And uh, Laura, as we know now, uh, with PDPM, they will utilize those scores from the PHQ-9 to impact the nursing case mix classifications in special care and clinically complex categories. You know, it's, it's interesting how it's all coming together, isn't it? <laughs> you know, a lot of changes, a lot of changes, but as we take each step, they kind of layer on top of each other and they all come together as part of the process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Sandy, um, in other conversations that you and I have had, and when you were telling me about uh, what was happening at the Claire in terms of QAPI and QAA, you uh, you mentioned that you, you asked Ashley what her major hurdles were in terms of the entire process. Can you share that with our audience? 
Yeah, she kind of indicated that communicating um, the information to the rest of the community personnel is a bit of a problem at times. Um, you know, one idea might be to provide a monthly or quarterly newsletter with the main quality assurance projects listed, identifying goals and project progress. Um, this could maybe go out with uh, resident statements to, you know, to let the residents know what's going on and could also be provided to personnel through, oh, an all staff meeting or, or other means. Um, you also could create maybe a vision board and display that board in an area that personnel uh, frequent, such as break rooms. Um, I don't know, Laura, do you, is there, do you have any other ideas of how we could best get this message out to uh, other community personnel? You know, I, th I think I, I think the two examples that you gave were the two that I was thinking of also, but even in um, <clears throat> department meetings, perhaps there's a, at least on a quarterly basis, there's a, a report from the QAPI committee that goes to each department staff meeting, because I know each department has their own staff meetings on a regular basis. So that might be a way too. Um, but, you know, one of the things as you're saying that I just want to, this is probably um, already, you know, we all know this, but for the sake of uh, someone who might not know this, um, I think it's worth me noting that, um, of course, that information doesn't contain any protected health information um, in terms of uh, identifiable. It's more the project and the data and then the progress on the data, correct? Yes, absolutely. Very good point. Absolutely. Yeah, we just we just don't want anybody tripping up on that end. So, so was there was there anything else from Ashley that uh, was important? Yeah, another question that she uh, that she posed was, you know, it would be, it would be really nice if uh, the communities could be provided with some sort of template to follow in preparing the quality assurance agenda and then yet tracking the progress. You know, that's a that's a that's a really good request, Sandy. It really is a good request. And I'm thinking that that you and I should put that on our to-do list, um, bring it back to our team, and and let's take that one on. What do you think? I think that sounds like a fabulous idea, and I'm sure it would be uh, a just a welcome tool for, for all the communities out there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you'll have to thank Ashley for um, allowing us to use her name and their community as an example. And from that, she gave us a to do list, which is a, a good thing on our to do list. So, so at this point, Sandy, I think we are going to wrap it up. I really want to thank you. Um, this has been very, very educational. Um, I thought I had my arms around all the specifics of Quapi for phase three, but I think you really pointed out some additional detail that I found really critically important. And I hope it's beneficial to our listeners too. So, so thank you, Sandy. Yes, thank you so much, uh, Laura. It was my pleasure. Wonderful. So that's all for now, and we hope you will join us on our next Life Care Services Health Services Division podcast. Legal disclaimer. 
Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.